Kia ora whanau. How's everybody? Good. We're good? That's good. Hey, you know, behind the scenes is where the action is, isn't it? Before we came and experienced a great time with our worship team tonight and brought our expressions of love and joy to God, we had the worship team here practicing, right? Before team night coming on, uh, on Friday night, uh, the staff team are going to be rehearsing and doing all the things that we can do to ensure that you have a great time when you turn up. And when we uh, invite people to our home for a meal, we usually spend the majority of the day preparing the house, mowing the lawns, getting everything clean and tidy and the best meal out there for somebody so that you can bless and honour them. Is that right? That's what happens behind the scenes. In this series, as we've been looking at angels, uh, we have been looking at what goes on behind the scenes with respect to what God is wanting to do when he gives us his best. Is that fair to say? And so this morning, uh, this morning, this evening, um, we want to be able to think of it in this, term, in this way. Think of it in this way that God is always about giving us his best. And we, as those who receive his best, need to occasionally stop and peek behind the curtain and get to see how it is that God is moving. All right. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to draw upon the biblical story and uh, make sure that we can remind ourselves of the fact that we've got Two families, two families that are related, uh, in a position where God is messing with them big time for the sake of eternity and for all of history, they're going to be remembered to us. And uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this this story. Father, we thank you that uh, behind the scenes, you're always at work. And that divine tapestry that brings together all the threads of our lives as they interact with other people's lives and interact with your purpose is something that we... um, We never really get to see, but we sense your presence and we know you're leading. And uh, we're just in awe of how it is that you knit this thing that we live in, the world, on a day-by-day basis, how you knit that together for us. And so, God, I just want to pray that um, you can stitch us into your word today, that we can be knitted in to the story in in a more intentional way tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, what I'm doing tonight is I'm talking about, um, about the encounter that happens when the angels intersect the lives of the shepherds. All right? So we, we have Christmas cards and we see pictures of shepherds on the hill and, uh, and we know that there are wise men and we know that there's Mary and Joseph and others. And this story is something that's pulled together over a period of months, about a, around about a year. And, uh, and it's our story. It's the Christian story. It's called the Nativity. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Uh, and so tonight I'm calling the message suddenly, because we're going to come to a point in the message tonight when suddenly everything comes together. Uh, but to get there, we've got to understand the context. And that means that we've got to understand the, the lives of people who are playing such a significant role in this story that we call the, the nativity. And I'm going to start with somebody um, called Zechariah. Zechariah um, uh, was married to Elizabeth. And a little bit like Bernie mentioned earlier on about uh, Samuel's mum, Hannah, they had cried out to God for a long, long time about having children. And to, have, to not have children in that day, to deemed to be barren, was deemed to be cursed. Okay, so it was more than not having children. It was deemed to be that somehow you've got yourself out of sorts with God. 
Somehow you are not in that place where God will bless you with children. They talked about wombs being open or wombs being closed. And so Elizabeth was a woman whose womb was closed. And uh, that was a curse not only for her, but it was deemed to be a curse upon her husband as well. And so here they are in their old age. And Zechariah must have been a righteous man. In, in light of all the difficulties he would have had trying to defend his reputation under the shadow of not having had children, he was asked by his community to be the high priest for that year and to go into the temple. And by going into the temple, he was asked to make a sacrifice for the community there. And uh, to be the one who did this meant that he had to have um, a sort of a high place of trust within his community as a religious leader. Uh, he would deem to have been spiritually clean and uh, sin-free. So he goes in. And uh, without any understanding of what was going to happen next, uh, an angel appeared to him, it says. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, to say the least. Let's just stop there. Gripped with fear. Now, I don't know about how many of you have ever had an encounter with an angel like Zechariah had, but did, even though in a religious context, Zechariah was... Gripped with fear, in a nice way of be saying he was totally freaked out. Okay, And then he starts arguing with the angel. He starts debating with the angel. Because the angel tells him that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a child even in her late age. And he says, how can this be? My wife is old, basically saying past childbearing age. And the angel basically says, look, don't mess with me, son. Okay, don't mess with me, son. Um, and with that, in that moment, he strikes John dumb. Okay, dumb meaning he can't talk. And so the whole community now is shaken because uh, the scriptures tell us that Zechariah was in there for quite a long time and people were wondering, you know. And there was always this fear that if you went into the Holy of Holies in that holy place and you had sin in your life, that as you drew closer to the altar, uh, God was going to waste you. Okay, so when there's no movement, where's Zechariah? Where's our man? You know, people were starting to get a little bit nervous. Not nervous for Zechariah, nervous about the fact that someone would have to go in there and get him out. You know, what's going on? If God's got an angry on, um, maybe they'll get wasted too. So here is Zechariah, and he comes out, and he's just in this state of, um, well, it's really hard to probably describe, just absolute awe of what has happened. This sort of semi-catatonic state, you know, like a zombie almost, and he can't he can't say anything. He can't even really describe what had happened to him. Because why? Because an angel had appeared to him and called him on his unbelief. And that's the critical element of this. Called him on his unbelief. So let's move on along a little bit because this family, these cousins are all connected in this story. And the next time we see an angel appearing is, of course, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And... Um, it starts off by referring to um, the pregnancy that now is affecting Elizabeth, okay? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so in other words, the angel was faithful, true. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they conceived a child. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And the reason why I wanted to just raise this is because there seems to be this, this uh, 
Mary's response to the angel was almost like, oh, hi. You know, how are we going? Uh, it was almost unlike Zechariah, who totally freaked out. Um, Elizabeth gets this sense in which, sorry, Mary has this, you have this sense from Mary that uh, she was close to God, close to spiritual things. And uh, this angelic being's visitation um, doesn't surprise her as much as we would have expected. Uh, but without going into her story, it's a story that most of us know. Of course, the angel tells her that she's going to conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and that she, by response to that, uh, is deeply, deeply humbled by this. She doesn't question it, but she's humbled by that. And, uh, and we get to here to see that this angel's name was Gabriel. And a lot of commentators would suggest that the angel who already spoken to Zechariah was also Gabriel. You know, so um, these, these angels had a hierarchy, have a ranking, and those who were uh, sort of in the God squad, I don't know if that's blasphemous to say that, but in the angel God squad that, who headed it up, they were the ones who got to do the delivery. They were the ones who got to do the talking. Of course, um, you can't have um, Mary pregnant without the help of her fiancé, um, and so the angel needs to be informed as well that his fiance is going to have a baby. So the angel appears to her fiance, and we'll read about that too. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It's after he considered divorcing or breaking the engagement. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so we've got angels appearing. And I know over this time that you've been looking at uh, the series, um, you've looked more, more closely at this, this interaction with these angels. And then there comes a time when the child in Bethlehem is born in the manger. And we know that part of the story really well because that's the, that's the, the crux, the intersection point of all of the story coming together. Uh, but what goes on then is something that I want to um, draw our attention to because how the angels now interact with regular people, and we're all regular people, is really very telling about the nature and the character of God. So here we are. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. That word should be in capitals. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. And so here we have this this, uh, this story that comes to an end with the, uh, well, it's coming to a beginning or coming to an end or it's the end of the beginning. I don't know how you want to sort of look at it. But the baby is born. This baby that's been prophesied over centuries and predicted by the angels and the angels have facilitated this child's birth. And now they want to tell the public, okay? They want to tell the public. And who's, who's the public? Well, the public are those who are awake to start off with. And they go out into the hills and they find this group of shepherds. And this lead angel announces to them 
what has happened, that a child has been born, the Messiah has arrived, and uh, they should go looking for a baby in David's city, in Bethlehem, who's wrapped up in a manger wearing cloths, okay, as clothes. So I want to I want to segue here a little bit into what it was like to be a shepherd in this day, because our focus tonight is not so much the angels' interaction with those earlier folks, but our our, our focus tonight is why it was that these angels came and told shepherds. Okay, so I'm going to take us into John chapter 10. Uh, it's a well-known verse that Jesus used, set of verses that Jesus used to describe himself as a shepherd. But it introduces us into his world and the world of the shepherd in the day 2,000 years ago. Jesus is talking here to a crowd, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep out, calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So here is a description that Jesus is talking about of himself as a good shepherd. But he's talking here to them in the language that a shepherd would understand. And here's a picture of an ancient sheep pen. Okay. Now, Largely, the land that was grazed was common land. And what would happen is at night, the shepherds would want to keep their sheep safe from wolves and bears and tigers and lions or whatever else was around. And they were all around in the day in the Middle East. And so they would take their flock of sheep into these sheep pens. And then the shepherds themselves would sit and sleep in the gateway. Okay, so no one could come in or out of those sheep pens legally unless uh, the shepherds knew about it. Okay, so Jesus' first description of, of what goes on with the sheep and the shepherd is that anybody who takes my sheep and doesn't come through the gateway, they're jumping over the wall and they're stealing the sheep. Okay, so they're illegal, they're, they're illegitimate as far as shepherds are concerned. But to be a shepherd wasn't um, an easy gig. Okay, so um, firstly, we'll look at the fact that shepherds were usually younger sons with no inheritance. Okay, so the way it would roll is that a family um, had to work on keeping their economic unit, in other words, their farm, strong. So if your name is Levi and you have five sons, um, democracy would say to you, and uh, fairness would say to you, get your piece of land and divide it up into five and give it out to them. Today, of course, we would say that doesn't work. If you've got five sons and five daughters, you all get a bit, right? But going back in the day, it was always a son who inherited. So we've got to play with what was going on at the time, which sounds great, sounds nice and fair, except within two or three generations, You've got your house here and your potato patch there and your toilet there and your one goat there because that's all the land that you owed after it had been split up over generations. 
So the goal was for a family was to say, listen, the oldest son gets the land, the rest of you get fresh air and water if you're lucky. Okay? And so one of the things that they would do is they'd enter into trades. But more often than not, a lot of these kids ended up as shepherds. They had no inheritance, but they would work for somebody else. Not unusual to work for the big brother if he was a good guy. Um, but the other, the other people who ended up being shepherds um, were single men. Okay? Single men, in other words, you didn't have a wife. And so, you know, um, being a shepherd didn't enhance your uh, sort of chances of getting married either because you didn't earn a great deal of money. Okay? And so we're starting to see here now that these are men who have missed out. These are, these are people who no one wants to marry. Uh, then you get those who are older and frail. Okay, they might have, um, might have just limited ability to work in the fields and they're getting old. Um, it's not necessarily hard physical work, just looking after sheep. Uh, maybe when it comes to shearing the sheep or harvesting the sheep as a whole, it does. But we're starting to see that this group of shepherds were those who were sort of on the fringes of society. And to enhance the sense of being on the fringe, uh, they always grazed the mountainous areas. Because the best, the best area of land was used for crops. Okay, So, I mean, just think about it. You don't put your sheep on the flat land and you grow your wheat on the hill. You do it the other way around, don't you? Because it makes more sense. And uh, even those of us who aren't, Farmers know that that makes more sense. And so here we have these shepherds who are by far the least in the society outside of those who are, who are, who are sinners and living in, in um, sort of religious destitution, if you like, from that community. But by far, the least of the least were there in that group of shepherds. And the interesting thing is that Israel was always judged by the way that it treated the least of the least. And so throughout the Old Testament, when the prophets spoke on behalf of God to the people of Israel, you would more often than not hear them at some point talk about what you have done to the shepherds, what you have done to the least of the least, or what you have done to the stranger who has come into your midst. Okay, And so people who were on the fringes, like the shepherds, were usually a really good indicator with respect to how godly this community was, because it's the old story, whatever you do to the least amongst you, that is the, the measure by which any society should be, should be judged. And, and that's, a, a, you know, that's the reason why we're all concerned in New Zealand about the rapid uh, price increase of houses and how wages aren't keeping up, because it just leaves this increasing group, increasingly large group of people who can't afford to buy a home, Okay. And so that shouldn't be just a concern for the politicians. That should be, and I know it is a concern for the Christian community because we know that those, those gaps that continue to increase um, are places that really deeply hurt the heart of God. Okay? And it should hurt us too if we hear that families are being raised in destitution. Okay? So, so here we have this, this story. It's our story, God's story, of him breaking into the world around us through speaking to angels, giving the birth of this, uh, this, this uh, child, John the Baptist, through Elizabeth and Zechariah, and then Jesus is born. And the angels who have been preparing this 
for a long, long time. Now I'm going to use a little bit of what I hope is a bit of divine imagination as I describe this next step to you. But I think there's this huge level of anticipation that must have been up in heaven. You know, because word would have got out about what God's plan was. As the lead angels were going about their business, you know, what is it that, what's Gabriel talking to that woman about? What? That she's going to conceive the the Messiah, God's son, is going to be born through her? Oh, okay, so that's what the prophet Isaiah was talking about 800 years ago. We've been waiting 800 years for this to come to pass. And it's a little bit like what I mentioned right at the beginning of uh, my talk tonight and how it is that we, we prepare well for the best of occasions, don't we? We prepare well when we want to honor something or someone. And so here are these angels setting up this, this whole program of God breaking into the world with his son Jesus. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and this is what happens. The angel appears to the shepherds out in the fields at night. And, and scriptures tell us that they were terrified when one angel turns up and announces that the son of God is born. And then he says to them, go to Bethlehem, go to Bethlehem and check it out for yourself. All right? So we're sitting on the edge of this, this great story. And what I didn't intentionally do is tell you the next line of what happens. And this is what happens. It says, Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So, I can only imagine, and this is my, I trust it's sort of a redeemed imagination that I'm using here, but the angels would have been saying, there's going to come a time we're going to break out and we're going to get the chance to talk to the witnesses around this event and tell them that the Messiah has been born. And they'll be like, we should prepare a song. (laughs) We should prepare a party. And it's hard for us to imagine this, but when it says here that the heavenly host appeared, The word host is another term for army. We're not talking about the host like me and the missus inviting someone in for a cup of tea, where I host the cup of tea. We're talking about an army who are somehow behind the curtain of heaven. And it's like the angel says, now I want you guys to go to Bethlehem and check out the story that I've told you, and you'll know that it's him because he's wrapped in a manger. And then he would have gone, now, An army of angels appear suddenly, and if they were terrified before because one had just been there, now they got the whole choir, an army singing to them, hallelujah, hallelujah, which would have made Handel's Messiah just look like a kid's show. It's good. It's good. But, but more than this, and this is, this is something that I think, again, it takes a little bit to get your head around. The words that are used here to describe what they're trying to describe is, um, is really, really um, a powerful picture of what Christ's coming brings to our world. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, peace we're talking here is, is shalom. You know, it's a word bigger than peace, like turn the tally off and I have peace. Okay, you know, do that final exam, I've got some peace. This is a peace that, is, that transcends um, your own experience 
It's bigger than you. It affects your neighbor. It affects everybody around you. It's a shalom. It's a peace that comes to the wider community when everything is put back in order again. And so here we're trying to describe this peace. I, I, I was saying, you know, Lord, what is it that I can do to describe what this peace looks like? And then, of course, obvious. Um, just this week, we celebrated um, uh, the armistice, World War I. Um, on the 11th of the 11th, 1918, the final shot was fired in World War I. The war had finished. Millions of people all around the world had lost their lives. Millions and millions of people around the world had lost loved ones. And in that moment, when it was announced that the world war had finished, it was like all heaven broke out. And on the net, I was searching these pictures, and I couldn't find one that really represented, this is probably the best I could find, um, what joy these people had in that moment when they realized there was no more war. It was over, no more death. And, and, and what we read in these descriptions, and this happened in World War II as well, is that it didn't matter whether you were young or old, whether you were rich or poor, whether you were a, a, a well-educated person or a not educated person, but everybody in those streets for, for days were just greeting one another and hugging one another and celebrating with one another because there's a sense in which God's favor has come upon us. Peace has come to us. And this, this picture of the armistice, that the end of death, the end of the war, the end of all that fear has come to our nation now, um, reminds us, I think maybe it's the closest thing that I can give to you when it says here that, in the second bottom line, and on earth, peace to those who, whom, whom his favor rests. So the image there that the angels bring is one of, it's all happening. For all that happened in the book of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, chapter 1, 2, and 3, where, where Satan came in and had victory and brought death to the world, the birth of this child has now put in motion the armistice. Okay, it's, 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 it's all but done. We've got, sure, we've got a lifetime of, of life for, for, for Jesus, but it's, it's all but done. And of course... Those angels are going to celebrate this because they know they have a greater picture than we did at the time of what God had in store. And so we're left with this, uh, this image um, of what the angels experience. And it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Not very often were you ever amazed at what a shepherd told you. I mean, what did the shepherd have to tell you? Oh, if you know the sheep are about flybying. I've got a few dags. It's great grass up on the hill up there. Oh, that's exciting. Yep, chased off a wolf the other day. Oh, good for you. But now the shepherds are the center of God's story. 
And that reminds us of whom God is. This is the nature and the character of God coming through here. God is, God is not only interested, he is excited about the lives of the shepherd, the lives of the least of, the, of these on the edges of our society. Others who, people who are disregarded become in this story the center of the whole story. They become the beginning of that, what we'd call that, uh, I don't know, the you know, 5G you know, internet, that, the beginning of the communication system here. And, uh, and so I want to bring us back to what Jesus had to say about himself when he talked to himself as a shepherd, because I think that helps us bring Jesus back into the story as a mature, um, as, as a man amongst us, as, as, the, as the Messiah. But it also restores to us, again, the picture of just how valuable the shepherd is. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. And he's talking here about coming into a heavenly pasture, coming into God's presence, coming into being a child of God. Yeah, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have a life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. Do you, do you get a picture now of what the angels were celebrating when the host appeared? They knew that the birth of the Messiah was going to bring life in all its fullness to us. Not this half-life of half-knowing, of half-expecting, of half-waiting, but a life that was full because God is going to express himself in his son Jesus and we would know whom God is and we could know God personally. And now we can have life to the full. And it's the shepherd who brings in the story. He, Jesus is the good shepherd, but it's the original shepherds who were the ones who are telling us the story. And then Jesus um, goes on to say, I am... The good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own account, on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So, I wanted to finish here tonight because I wanted to bring us back to the shepherd called Jesus. This shepherd is the one who is the sheep gate. This is the one through whom you go as you enter into the sheepfold. There you're protected. And he's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the good shepherd, not just the hired hand, somebody who's only in it for the money. But he's the one who lays down his life willingly, freely, only to take it up again. And he speaks here of the resurrection. It's sort of a 
people don't understand at the time what he's talking about. It's recorded only after his death and resurrection do people say he was referring to his own death and his own resurrection. So here we are. Suddenly, the original flash mob breaks out of heaven and introduces themselves to the poorest of the poor and the lowest of the low. When we stand for prayer. God, I, I thank you for your word, which just continues to build a picture in our minds of, of, of your great love for each of us. And it doesn't matter who we are, where we're from, what our background is, whether we have huge education, huge amount of money, huge amount of influence, no influence at all, no money at all, no education at all. It means nothing to you. Those things don't count. Your love is far greater than the things that we want to measure. And you yourself become the shepherd who lays down your own life for us, regardless of who we are. I thank you, God, that you see us all in ways that we never would see ourselves. We, we are so busy measuring and judging and assessing and determining and valuing and placing people in different places. And you don't see any of that. That's why you sent your angels to bring the, the greatest victory chorus that probably anybody could have ever experienced. And you brought that great show, that great preparation to a bunch of smelly shepherds on the side of a hill and said, I'm going to give my best to them because they deserve it. I thank you for your great love for us, Lord. I thank you for the angels. I thank you for the angels that we see and we don't see. I thank you for the people in our lives who come like angels. People who set themselves apart like the shepherd who are prepared to lay down some of their own rights for the sake of other people. So God, we, we thank you for this. And we ask that you would help us to be like Jesus and remember the poor, to remember those who are disadvantaged, to reach out to those who are hurting, to be there for those who others would disregard. That's our great desire. We ask this in Jesus' name.